0: U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris calls for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza.
1: Our hearts break for the victims of that horrific tragedy and for all the innocent people in Gaza.
0: Thousands of people pay their respects to Alexei Navalny at his grave.
1: The pain
0: is unbearable. And Israel agrees to change the lyrics of its potential song entry In the Eurovision contest.
2: The leading Israeli submission is October Rain, a ballad sung by female soloist Eden Golan.
0: Today is Monday, March 4th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. On Sunday, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris called for a proposed six-week ceasefire deal in the Israel-Hamas war to be accepted
1: given the immense scale of suffering in Gaza, there must be an immediate ceasefire for at least the next six weeks, which is what is currently on the table.
0: A senior U.S. official on Saturday had said that Israel had broadly accepted the deal, which would see a six-week cessation of hostilities if... Hamas agrees to release the most vulnerable hostages it holds.
1: Hamas claims it wants a ceasefire. Well, there is a deal on the table. And as we have said, Hamas needs to agree to that deal. Let's get a ceasefire. Let's reunite the hostages with their families. And let's provide immediate relief to the people of Gaza.
0: The Hamas delegation arrived in Cairo on Sunday to hold ceasefire talks while Israeli forces continued military operations in the Strip. Reuters correspondent Zachary Goleman has this part of the story.
3: A Reuters camera along the Israel-Gaza border recorded massive explosions and tanks firing just inside the Palestinian enclave on Sunday. The scenes of combat come the same day a delegation from Hamas arrived in Cairo for truce talks. According to U.S. officials, Israel presented a proposal that could halt fighting for up to six weeks in exchange for the release of more than 130 Israeli hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. But a Palestinian official told Reuters the deal was, quote, not yet there. From the Israeli side, there was no official confirmation that its delegation was even attending. Meanwhile, the Israeli military showed its continued strikes on what it says are Hamas fighters in the Gaza Strip. One strike appeared to hit a home in the city of Rafah last night, killing 14 members of the Abu Anza family. Among the dead were Rania Abu Anza's husband and infant twins, born amid the war. She asked, What was their fault? What did a baby like this do? Answer me, people. Feel for me, people. You don't feel anything for us. What are you doing? Watching us? According to Gaza health officials, more than 30,000 Palestinians have been killed and more than 70,000 wounded since Israel began its offensive five months ago. Most of the 2.3 million residents have been displaced. A different scene in the Israeli city of Sterot on Sunday, just 4 kilometers from the Gaza border, where schools reopened for the first time since Hamas's October 7th surprise attack. Eli Irfan is a Sterot resident and mother. <laughs> she told Reuters, quote, it's very scary. We're very much afraid, but we're strong. This is our country. We have nowhere to run to. Most of the city's residents were evacuated after Hamas gunmen rampaged through Israeli communities, killing 1,200 and abducting more than 200 people. Gunfire from Gaza can be heard from the school and echoing over the city.
0: Where correspondent Zachary Goleman? Details of German plans outlining future munitions and battle plans for Ukraine were leaked last week. Now Germany admits it's true. VOA's Arash Basadi says this has prompted Russia to call Germany its age-old rival that is again its sworn enemy.
4: At least 10 people died in a Russian drone strike on an apartment block in Ukraine's southern port city of Odessa. <laughs> Rescuers raced to cut concrete, combing for casualties trapped in the rubble. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said the drone was an Iranian-made Shahed Kamikaze, one of thousands supplied to Russia throughout the war. Ukraine, heavily reliant on Western powers to sustain its war effort, has long asked for weapons with greater range to strike Russian targets from afar. And so, when news broke late last week of German plans to equip Ukraine with the Taurus cruise missile capable of flying about twice as far as missiles supplied by Britain and France, Russian officials were quick to blame the West for its ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov described a strong war camp in Europe bent on delivering a strategic defeat to Russia in the battlefield. He also bashed Finland and Sweden's recent membership in NATO. News of the Taurus missile first broke through what appears to be leaked audio of a video call where German officers discussed arming Ukraine with hardware and possible targets like the bridge linking Russia to illegally annexed Crimea. On a recent visit to Vatican City, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz called the potential leak a very serious matter that will be investigated very carefully, very intensively and very quickly. Meanwhile, civilian targets like schools and building blocks remain very much in the Kremlin's crosshairs as Moscow's missiles tear entire neighborhoods apart. And as Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine now grinds into a third year, mourners buried the loudest voice opposing the government of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Chanting his name, thousands said goodbye to Alexei Navalny after his still-mysterious death in a penal colony weeks ago. Independent Russian media and human rights group OVD Info reporting around 70 detentions nationwide despite relative quiet before the cameras in Moscow. Arash Basadi, VOA
0: News. While details of Germany's plans to aid Ukraine are now public, the debate for more funding from the United States continues. VOA's Laurie London talked with David Kramer, executive director of the George W. Bush Presidential Center, about some of the myths being used to stall that funding.
5: Well, one of them, of course, is the view that some espouse that Ukraine can't win. I imagine these are the same people who thought this war was going to be over in a matter of days and that Russia would take over Kyiv, the capital, and remove Zelensky as president. Um, The Ukrainians, while not having achieved the success in the counteroffensive last year, have nevertheless made significant gains in the two years that we're discussing, including regaining more than 50 percent of the territory that Russia seized essentially destroying half of Russia's conventional military capabilities, inflicting some 400,000 casualties on the Russian side, driving the Russian Black Sea fleet out of Sevastopol for all intents and purposes, restoring the export corridor through the Black Sea for Ukrainian agricultural goods. It's not surprising that the last 18 to 20% of Ukrainian territory that Russia occupies is the most difficult for Ukraine to gain. But Eric Gadelman and I firmly believe that Ukraine is capable of victory if we provide them with the means to do so. so. critically important to remember that the Ukrainians are not asking for our men and women to go fight this fight for them. They are asking, however, for our military assistance. There also has been talk about a ceasefire. This was another myth that we attacked. People saying that uh, we should push the Ukrainians for a ceasefire. Ukrainians don't support the idea of a ceasefire. Zelensky is a democratically elected president, and he needs to pay attention to the views of his people. The Ukrainians, with good reason, don't believe any paper that Putin would sign The Minsk-1 and Minsk-2 agreements, a good example of how worthless his signature is on anything. And so we reject the idea that now is the time to push for a ceasefire, denies Ukrainian agency, and it also would consign millions of Ukrainians to living under Russia's repressive control. And so we rejected that myth as well.
6: What about the arguments by some members of Congress that the U.S. needs to focus on its own national security on the border first
5: so there's no question that we have challenges when it comes to border security challenges on the immigration front and those should be addressed and we're not saying they shouldn't be but the United States is the greatest country on earth we are capable of walking and chewing gum at the same time which is to say we can and should be able to address through Congress, problems on the border, while at the same time providing assistance, desperately needed assistance, to a country that has been invaded by Russia, uh, where Russia has tried to forcibly change the borders, a country that aspires to join the Euro-Atlantic community, a country that is fighting for freedom, not just for itself, but for us too.
0: VOA's Laurie London with David Kramer, executive director of the George W. Bush Presidential Center. He served as deputy assistant secretary of state for Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and Moldova, Alexei Novani was buried in a Moscow cemetery three days ago. On Sunday, thousands of people were still coming to pay their respects.
7: The pain
1: is unbearable. On the first day, when he was buried,
7: my body just couldn't cope, and I couldn't come, purely for human reasons.
1: But today, I got some strength, and that is why
7: I came. To pay my respects, to honor, to bow before a brave man
1: with whom our hopes were connected for a better future,
7: for fighting corruption, for fair courts.
1: Unfortunately,
7: now this hope,
1: though still remains, is depleting. Let's hope for the best. God save us. A
0: quickly moving line of mourners with flowers stretched over 500 meters outside the cemetery gate with more people coming all the time. We're following these other stories from around the world. A ship attacked by Yemen's Houthi rebels has sunk in the Red Sea after days of taking on water. It's the first ship sunk by the Houthis. It could cause more detours and higher insurance rates for vessels using the waterway potentially driving up global inflation and affecting aid shipments to the region. The Houthis are a U.S.-designated terrorist group. At least three people dead on Sunday after hundreds of inmates escaped Haiti's main prison. An armed gang stormed the facility. The jailbreak marked a new low in Haiti's downward spiral of violence and came as gangs assert greater control in the capital, Port-au-Prince. Thousands of senior doctors rallied in the South Korean capital to support junior doctors who've been on strike for nearly two weeks. The government said it would begin to suspend the medical licenses of about 9,000 interns and residents for defying government orders to end their walkouts, which have disrupted hospital operations. Nikki Haley won the Republican primary in the District of Columbia on Sunday, giving her the first victory in the nominating contests of 2024 and slowing Donald Trump's march to the Republican nomination. Haley won the district 63% to 33%, according to tallies by the Associated Press. In winning the 19 delegates from the nation's capital, Trump's former ambassador to the U.N. nearly doubled her voting strength at the Republican National Convention in July. But her 43 delegates still trail former President Trump's, who won the first nine contests, and has amassed 244 delegates. U.S. voters in more than a dozen states head to the polls on Tuesday to choose their party's presidential nominee. Here's VOA's Veronica Balderas Iglesias with the details.
8: Voters will head to the polls on Tuesday to indicate whom they favor as their party's nominee in the November presidential election. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, who is trailing Trump for her party's nomination, told NBC's Meet the Press Sunday she'll continue in the race for as long as voters want her to be. They'll show it in their votes, they'll show it in their donations. Immigration is also among the topics that former President Trump chose to focus on ahead of what it's known as Super Tuesday.
5: We're going and we're not stopping.
8: President Biden, who visited the Texas border last week, accuses Trump of scuttling a bipartisan border security bill. This past Saturday, First Lady Jill Biden shed light on another topic that she argues voters should consider ahead of Super Tuesday, women's reproductive rights. He's considering a national abortion ban. Donald Trump is dangerous to women and to our families. We simply cannot let him win. President Biden is all but guaranteed to be his party's nominee. On the Republican side, Trump needs to secure at least 1,215 delegates to officially secure the nomination. It could take several days for all of Tuesday's results to be formally announced. Veronica Valderas Iglesias, VOA News, Washington.
0: A Supreme Court decision could come as soon as Monday in the case of whether former President Donald Trump can be kicked off the ballot over his efforts to undo his defeat in the 2020 election. Trump is challenging a groundbreaking decision by the Colorado Supreme Court that said he is disqualified from being president again and ineligible for the state's primary, which is part of the Super Tuesday slate of contests. VOA's International Edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. Pakistan's newly formed parliament elected Shabaz Sharif on Sunday as prime minister for a second time three weeks after uncertain national elections caused delays in the formation of a coalition government. Here's Reuters correspondent, Vanessa Chan.
6: Pakistan's newly formed parliament elected Shabazz Sharif on Sunday as prime minister for a second time. This comes three weeks after uncertain national elections caused delays in the formation of a coalition government. It was met with loud protests from the Sunni Ittehad Council party, By jailed former Prime Minister Imran Khan. Lawmakers loyal to Khan banged on their desks and chanted opposition slogans. They alleged Shabazz came to power through electoral rigging and called for the release of Khan who was sentenced to 10 years in jail in a case for leaking state secrets. Here's Sitarj Ghul, a leader from the PTI party founded by Imran Khan.
2: Shahbaz Sharif cannot deliver to this country because he is not elected by the people of Pakistan. Uh, He has stolen the credit of the people of uh, PTI people, and he has stolen the vote of Pakistani people. He cannot deliver. He has been imposed on the public of Pakistan.
6: On February 8th, the South Asian country voted in an election marked by a mobile internet shutdown, arrests and violence in its build-up. The unusually delayed results triggered accusations. The vote was rigged. Shabazz now returns to the role he held until August last year, when Parliament was dissolved ahead of February 8th election, and the caretaker government took over.
0: Reuters correspondent Vanessa Chan. Monday is World Obesity Day. Indonesia is facing a disparity in obesity rates among adults. Almost half of the country's women are overweight or obese, nearly double the rate of Indonesian men. According to data from the country's Ministry of Health, Dave Grunenbaum takes a look for us.
9: It's workout time for these two dozen Indonesian women. Improving their cardiovascular health and shedding calories. For many of them, this is a relatively new routine, including Yuliana. She's 29 and weighs 110 kilos.
8: I did not get enough exercise, and I had an unhealthy diet, too.
9: It's a common story in Indonesia, which is seeing rising obesity rates in all age groups, but especially among women.
8: Yes, we are seeing an increasing rates of obesity, and the result we can see from the um, basic health survey that Indonesia has, where you can see increasing number of people with chronic illnesses such as um, cardiovascular disease, um, cancer, and also renal failure and diabetes.
9: Dia Samanarsi is the CEO of the Center for Indonesia Strategic Development Initiatives, a non government organization focusing on health issues. Samanarsi says it's not clear why Indonesian women have significantly higher rates of obesity compared to men. But one factor could be that in many Indonesian families, women still play a traditional role. They cook.
8: They feed the children and then they stay at home or they pick their their kids from school.
9: But health advocates say there are some encouraging signs as more fitness centers open and health education improves across the country. Meantime, Yuliana has lost seven kilos during the past three and a half months. She's exercising regularly and eating more nutritious food. It's the type of lifestyle change health advocates hope will gain momentum. Dave Grunenbaum, VOA News, Indonesia.
0: In the Eurovision Song Contest, one of the rules is no politics. Sometimes it does slip through. But for the upcoming contest, someone leaked the lyrics from one of the potential songs from the Israeli affiliate of Eurovision, and now Reuters correspondent Lucy Fielder says Israel has agreed to revise the lyrics of its potential submission that appear to reference Hamas's October 7th attack, after the judges took issue with them.
2: Israel has agreed to revise the lyrics of its potential submission to the Eurovision Song Contest, after organizers took issue with lyrics that appeared to reference Hamas' October 7th attack. Israel's national broadcaster Khan said on Sunday, The leading Israeli submission is October Rain, a ballad sung by female soloist Eden Golan. Eurovision, which will take place in May in the Swedish city of Malmo, bills itself as a non-political event. It can disqualify contestants deemed to have breached that rule. Broadcaster Khan is tasked with choosing Israel's entry. October Rain includes lines such as, there's no air left to breathe, and they were all good children, each one of them, according to lyrics leaked to the media and later confirmed by Khan. They appear to allude to people who hold up in shelters as Hamas gunmen carried out a killing and kidnapping spree, which sparked Israel's devastating assault on Gaza. Khan has said it has asked the writers of October Rain and second place finalist Dance Forever to revise their lyrics.
0: Reuters correspondent Lucy Fielder. This has been International Edition on the Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA. Thank you so much for spending time with us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com or download the VOA app. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman.
10: Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Since the war broke out in Ukraine two years ago, the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID, has marshaled more than $29 billion that has touched the lives of 17 million Ukrainians, nearly half the country's population. This support has not only helped displaced Ukrainians and those living on the front lines survive with dignity, but has helped Ukraine build long-term strength and self-reliance. Isabel Coleman is Deputy Administrator of USAID. She says that one of Russian President Vladimir Putin's goals in invading Ukraine was to bring the country to its knees economically. However, he has failed spectacularly in that goal.
7: Ukraine's friends, including the United States, European allies and countries from around the world, work together to help keep Ukrainian farmers able to plant their fields We here at USAID, uh, we have worked with over a third of Ukrainian farmers to provide them with seeds and fertilizer, with financing, with additional storage when they couldn't immediately export their agricultural products.
10: USAID has worked to bolster alternate export routes and to marshal investment to restore damaged ports in the Black Sea, said Assistant Administrator Coleman.
7: We have worked with Ukrainian exporters, providing them, for example, with larger grain railway cars so that they can bring bigger quantities of grain to the Danube ports and onto barges there. We have worked with the ports themselves to provide pilot ships that can go back and forth and bring maritime pilots from land to to the ships themselves and speed up the turnaround of unloading and offloading agricultural exports in those Danube ports. We have increased investment in different border crossings to again speed up processing.
10: The strategy is working. Today, the Ukrainian economy has returned to growth. Businesses are bouncing back and international investment is returning. USAID is committed to improving on this progress, including by supporting policy reforms.
7: We're looking with the destruction that Putin's forces have wrought across the country to make sure that farmers have access to the energy and the irrigation that they need to be as productive as they have been in the past. And even more productive going
10: forward. Ukrainian agriculture provides food to some of the most vulnerable countries in the world, noted Assistant Administrator Coleman. Supporting this breadbasket is critical to feeding the world. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.